This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Ann Bryce. Since Mariana Soto Sanchez started at UC Berkeley as a first-year student more than three years ago, she has dreamed of going to a Cal football game. Okay, so just to show you how fun a football game can be, if you don't already know, which I'm sure a lot of you do. But anyway, here is a clip from 1982 of the play during the big game between Cal and Stanford. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going into the end The Bears! The Bears have won! The Bears have won! Oh, my God! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending... Exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football. Granted, this play is considered to be one of the most memorable in college football history. But exciting plays happen all the time. And Mariana loves football. And she's always just wanted to be there, like chanting and cheering with the crowd. But for Mariana, actually attending a game seemed impossible a feat that she just couldn't manage on her own. Not only would she have to call the ticket office, request accessible seating, and disclose her disability, but once she got to the game, she feared that the disabled section would be in the least desirable place, set apart from the rest of the crowd. Just because, like, I use a wheelchair doesn't mean, like, I don't want to be, like, in the middle of chaos, too. (laughs) There have been a few times when she's bought a regular admission ticket to a concert and hung out right in the middle, in the pit, with everyone else. That's, like, been the most enjoyable. But then at the same time, it's like I risk my safety because, you know, people aren't really conscious of, like, someone in a wheelchair being there. The built world, she says, is only accessible to some people. And many don't realize that Anyone at any time can become disabled and need accommodations that they didn't even consider before. It's like, take for me example, like I didn't really have any like prior like health issues that could maybe like, you know, as opposed to someone like already like born with a disability there, they've always had that like, like that knowledge, but it's like, okay, me, it's like, it's like, okay, now you have to adjust to a new way of living. Mariana has used a wheelchair since she was 15 after she woke up one Saturday morning six years ago at her family's home in Ontario, California. You know, like I was on my phone checking like what was going on. And then I was like, oh, like my back feels funny. Like I probably slept wrong. She told her mom, who advised that she take a hot shower after breakfast to relax her muscles. So Mariana poured herself a bowl of her favorite cereal, Lucky Charms, and sat down at the table. And then, like, I was eating, like, like on my phone, scrolling through social media and, like, eating. And then, like, I don't know, my, my, my hand started feeling, like, very weak. And then, like, it gradually became, like, harder to, like, pick up the spoon and stuff like that. It's kind of like how it feels like when you, like, kind of sleep on your arm and it just, like, weakness. 
So she told her mom again, who was then talking to Mariana's aunt on the phone. Her mom told her again that it probably wasn't serious, that it would probably go away. Because for a parent, these kinds of complaints from a child generally aren't serious, and they usually do go away. And then it's like, it started to like gradually spread like to like my whole arm and then I started spreading and then my legs started feeling heavy, especially my thighs. And I was like, okay, mom, like this isn't normal. Like, like we need to go to the, to the hospital or something. And then when I told her like, oh yeah, like my legs feel funny. Like I don't like, it feels like I can't walk. She's like, oh no, like let's go to the hospital. So Mariana's parents helped her into their car and made the 15-minute drive to San Antonio Regional Hospital. Mariana sat in her family's black Ford Expedition, her dad trying to stay calm as he sped down the freeway toward the hospital. To give you an idea of just how quickly this all happened, from the time that Mariana woke up with an achy back to when she and her family were on their way to the hospital, only about 30 minutes had gone by. By like the the middle of like the trip, that's when I was like, mom, like I can't feel my legs at all. And it's like when I got to the hospital, like I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the car anymore. Like that's when like the paralysis spread to like from my neck to my like toes. And what did you, how were you feeling at the time? Like, how did, how were you, like, what was going through your mind? I mean, I was really, like, inwardly, I was really freaked out and scared because I was like, okay, if, if, like, my hands and my legs are becoming paralyzed and, like, not working, it's like, how much time before my heart stops or, like, I can't breathe and stuff like that. So I was I was very paranoid like that. I wasn't even thinking like, oh, am I going to get better? Like I was thinking like, am I going to die like in a few minutes? Because I mean, obviously, like I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, okay, I woke up and now I'm like paralyzed. I can't feel anything. But like, like outwardly, I wasn't trying to freak out because I didn't want my parents to freak out. Like I was just like, okay, very calm. Like, okay, like, you know, like something's probably like wrong that. They can just give me like, like a pill and then they'll go away. And I mean, I remember just going there, getting checked in and then in the waiting room. After waiting for what seemed like forever, but was maybe more like two hours, she guesses, Mariana was finally seen. She was given a bunch of different tests over the next few hours. Then Mariana and her parents waited for a diagnosis. I was just there chilling, like in the bed, just only being able to move my head. And then it's like beside me, my mom's crying, like her eyes out, like, oh my God, what's happening? So when did they finally figure out what it was? It was the same day, but it was like a few hours after. I think it was like late at night like almost 11 when they finally said like oh like we ran some tests and we think it's like transverse myelitis (laughs) 
Transverse myelitis is a rare disorder characterized by inflammation of a section of the spinal cord. Sometimes it's caused by an infection like influenza or an inflammatory condition like multiple sclerosis. And sometimes the cause is unknown, like it was for Mariana. Although most people who have had transverse myelitis recover, at least partially, long-term complications like painful muscle spasms and partial or total paralysis can linger. After her diagnosis, Mariana was transferred to a children's hospital in Orange County and then to Loma Linda University, where she did inpatient rehabilitation. After two and a half months of intense rehab, four to five times each day, she was able to stand for a few minutes at a time and had regained partial use of her right hand. And now, how are you right now? How does it feel right now? I mean, looking back, it's like, I feel like I've regained a lot, but at the same time, it's like not to a hundred percent. I would say like if I had to quantify it, it'd be like maybe like 65 to 70% of mobility. I guess in terms of like feeling um it's been pretty stagnant for like about a year or two um but what has been improved is like my endurance in in doing like activities so it's like you know before even taking a shower with the assistance which was just like this huge task that doing it that's like that's the only task that I could do for the day before I'm like okay like I can't do anything And then now it's like, okay, I can shower sometimes without assistance. And then I still need, you know, to like a little breather, but then I can continue on with my day. And then also like in terms of walking, it's like before it's like virtually no walking. And then now, um, because my apartment is kind of small, um, I like walk around with like my forearm crushes there. I actually met Mariana when she started at Berkeley as a first-year student in 2018. She was 18 at the time and was with her mom, Francisca, at Golden Bear Orientation, where new students get to know the campus before their classes begin. Here we are talking on Lower Sproul Plaza a few days after she'd come to campus about why she decided to take the leap and attend Berkeley. I've always been kind of like sheltered in my home and like I've never really took any big risk because I've always been scared like oh my god like I can't do this and my cousins and my therapists are like you know like we've been training for this like you're ready like you're ready to go out in the world yeah like the first day here I was like oh no I hate it like I made a mistake and then like I called my cousin crying and she's like no like like you can do this if we didn't think you could do it we wouldn't have like I told you to come here. As time went on, it got better. She signed up with the Disabled Students Program and got the accommodations she needed for her classes, including a note taker and extra time on exams. She found flatter roots on the very hilly campus and figured out how to get to each of her classrooms. In a lot of buildings, it's like, I, oh, I have to go all the way through the back and then take an elevator downstairs and stuff like that. 
so it was it was definitely like a learning experience and and I mean not always pleasant <laughs> especially when it's like oh elevator out of service or construction here or stuff like that her first year, she lived on the first floor of Cheney Hall, which was actually the second floor. The elevator would be out all the time, so she'd have to call the front desk and someone would help her down the stairs and another person would carry her wheelchair for her. Every day, she'd leave an hour early for class in case the elevator was broken. It's amazing how much Berkeley has such a rich history in like the disability movement. But there's like, I mean, there's stuff that they can improve. UC Berkeley was one of the first campuses in the U.S. to begin accommodating students with disabilities. It began with student activists who pushed the campus to provide equal learning and living opportunities for people with disabilities. This activism helped ignite a national disability rights movement that gained momentum alongside the civil rights and women's movements of the 1960s and 70s. Elizabeth, what's going on now is an overnight sit-in. Actually, the demonstration is going on throughout the entire nation, Washington, New York, Denver, here in San Francisco. It all started this morning here at the old federal building on 50 Fulton when an incident took place outside. Immediately after that demonstration this morning, the handicap started invading the building. It's the old federal building, which is now the HEW headquarters. They spent most of the day in the office of the regional director here. In 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, was passed, which mandated equal rights and opportunities for people with disabilities in all areas of public life, including jobs, schools, transportation, and all places open to the general public. Karen Nakamura is an anthropology professor and chair of disability studies at UC Berkeley. She says that in the past couple of decades, it seems as if disability rights activism on campus has waned. You know, we had a really vibrant um, disability activism movement at Cal in the 70s and 80s. Um, and then by the 90s and aughts, it started to dissipate. I think many of the people felt that once we got the ADA, um, that that was, you know, that was the huge push and that, that the energy sort of evaporated. And for about 20 years, yeah, the situation's been good, mm. but not great. There hasn't been really disability culture at Cal, per se. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're finding in the last maybe five years is that students are realizing that they have to be more active. I think they, re they realized that, no, actually, the real world isn't, ha looks accessible, but in reality, it isn't. Um, we're not being taught the skills or we're not being given the tools we need to, to succeed. In the past few years, however, Nakamura says the campus, under the leadership of Chancellor Carol Christ, has demonstrated a renewed commitment to making the campus a better, more accessible place for people with disabilities. In 2018, Nakamura started the UC Berkeley Disability Lab, 
a purposefully disabled led and disability centered, accessible and cross disability inclusive makerspace, research lab, and teaching space. It aims to connect disability research, media, and design in the Bay Area. One project among several that the lab is working on is to create a free open source mapping and navigation app that embodies the knowledge and ways of disabled students and professors. The lab is also working to produce information and workshops to better help the disability community prepare for natural disasters and regional emergencies like wildfires, power shutoffs, and earthquakes. In 2020, the 30th anniversary of the ADA, student activists secured a space in the Hearst Field Annex for a Disability Cultural Community Center, two doors down from Nakamura's lab. Elena Morales graduated last year with a bachelor's degree in nutrition sciences and a minor in disability studies. She and a small group of other disabled students, staff, and faculty had been advocating for the space since 2017. Alana says that she hopes the community center will be a space where people with all different disabilities can come and feel, quote, unapologetically disabled. I think it's something that's just been talked since I got to Berkeley as a student. You know, you go to DSP and, and you get your accommodations, but there's really not a place where you can go and, and feel community in an identity-based way or a sociocultural way. It's not the first time the community has rallied for one. You know, it's um, several advocates have done it since, man, since decades. I, I know one advocate that has been around for about a decade on the campus and was advocating for one. So it it's not the first time that we've rallied for one. And the fact that it, it actually pulled through is amazing, but it's something that we've needed for a while and it's really long overdue. We, we had a protest, actually, um, at one point, and one of our chants was, what do we want? A community center. When do we want it? Ten years ago. <laughs> Although the center's opening was delayed because of the pandemic, organizers say it will open its doors this January and will hold a grand opening celebration in April. Mariana says that having a center where she could connect with people from the disabled community at Berkeley would have given her a certain kind of support that she hasn't felt during her time at Berkeley. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I really haven't encountered a lot of other disabled people. And that's like one of the main reasons that I say like for other people, like do what I didn't because it'll make your life easier. When I have interacted with like other disabled people, like like on campus or on like online, it's just, I don't know, something clicks, you know, like what what's missing in like other friend groups clicks because it's like, okay, now they know the struggle of like having to cancel a plan last minute because like you got to flare up in pain or, you know, just like not being able to be spontaneous in going out because you have to plan and see, is there an accessible bathroom here? Are there ramps here? Are there stairs? How am I going to get there? Like, is there public transportation and stuff like that? It's like 
something that's not really like other people don't really think about, but it's like ingrained in other disabled people. Like it's our culture. So it's like, I don't know, there's, there's comfort in understanding. When COVID-19 moved classes online in March 2020, Mariana moved back to her parents' house in Ontario and was able to attend virtual class from there. When she was on campus before the pandemic, her mom had moved to Berkeley to help Mariana with everyday tasks. But when campus reopened this fall, her mom wasn't able to move back to Berkeley, so Mariana had to hire a part-time caregiver through a state program called In-Home Support Services, which pays for 155 hours of care per month, or about five hours a day. Her caregiver, Hazel, helps Mariana do things like cook, grocery shop, and organize her room. Although Mariana was really nervous to be on her own for the first time, she says that she realizes now that it was the push that she needed to do more on her own. I mean, I was telling my mom that that it's it's crazy how how like I guess independent like I could be. One of my biggest fears is, you know, not being able to do it and failing at doing something. And I guess like I, I'm partially really glad that you know, I was kind of thrust into like having to be independent, having to find ways to do things for myself because it's, it's been liberating, you know, not having to rely on, on people to do like certain things for me. Before coming here, I was so worried, like, like every day, like I would just wake up feeling all panicky and nervous about, you know, what's going to happen because you know, I felt like just coming here, I was just gonna <laughs> wither away, you know, not being able to do anything for myself. And then just being here, you know, having, like, you know, I, what I feel like is like newfound freedom. It's been exciting. This December, Mariana will graduate with a degree in media studies and a minor in journalism. She says she's not sure what she wants to do after she graduates. She might apply to journalism school or maybe pursue a career in news or sports or maybe freelance for a while. But she does know that she's come a long way in her past three and a half years at Berkeley. When my social worker was talking about like, oh, like a lot of people, especially people with disabilities, aren't able to go to college because of all these like roadblocks it just got me really thinking like oh man like how lucky am I you know to be like like right at the finish line of graduating and then just this immense privilege of being like you know one of the few like people with disabilities to be able to graduate. A couple weeks ago she actually went to her first Cal football game. She decided that she'd just buy a ticket and figure it out when she got there. She arrived two hours early to give herself plenty of time. And so I just kept asking around, like, oh, hey, do you know, like, first, do you know if there's an accessible section in the student section? And then if there is, how do I get there? Or if there isn't, how do I talk to someone into getting, you know, accessible seating and stuff like that? And I mean, I was like, you know, going back and forth because someone was like, oh, talk to this person, you know, and I would go over there and they're like, oh, no, actually go talk to this person. Like, yeah. But thankfully, like, um, we figured it out and there is accessibility seating in the student section, which I was very happy about. She says it wasn't in the best location. 
She had to go to the top and it was kind of removed from the action and the energy of the game. But it was still exciting, she says, and she plans on going to all the home games, something she wishes she'd done sooner. I feel like now I have like more confidence, like, you know, to be able to venture out and knowing like, okay, maybe I can do these things that I thought I couldn't before. And if I can't, then I'll know like these are like my new, I guess, limitations. During the summer, um, like a, a disabled activist, Judith Human, like released like a memoir. It was like very, very eye opening and inspiring. And like on living with disability, she said, in my own mind, there are no barriers to what I could learn or what I could achieve. All the barriers came from outside of me. And that's like something that really stuck with me because it's like, wow, like I hadn't really thought about it like that. that because I felt like I would place limitations on myself, but it's like, it's really just limitations imposed by society that really, you know, prevent me from achieving what I would want to achieve. This is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley News podcast. I'm Ann Bryce. You can find links to disability resources on campus in this story on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts, where you can also read a transcript and see photos. If you would like to hear more stories about the people that make UC Berkeley the world-changing place that it is, subscribe to Berkeley Voices and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Look for new episodes every other Friday. Friday.